Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live in the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. If you'd like to join these lives, watch past replays, or get any of the written summaries I do for these weekly, please head to the link in the show notes, drop me a comment, I'm happy to help you out. Now, let's get on with the episode. We are live. This week, we're going to go through grab bag number three, so we're just going to talk about a lot of topics that people have wanted me to address, and these have all come from the Facebook group in Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition. Sometimes I pull these from clients or conversations, but this week it has all been from the group. So if you want to chime in on these one of these in the future, you should probably get in there. So a lot of you chimed in over the past couple weeks, and I'm going to try to address as much as I can before you have to go, before I have to go. Hi, Amanda. Good to see you. Um, so I'm going to really try to get right into it. If you are watching this live and have a question about any of the topics we're discussing, please pop it in the chat as we go along. That way I can try to address it as I'm talking about that subject and I'm not like hopping back and forth as much and it'll just stay a little more cohesive. That said, if something does register you to you later, no worries. Put it in the chat and I'll address it at some point, worst case at the end. So first off, question from Mick, and this was actually from last week. Adductor strength training thoughts for runners to avoid cramps in long events. Most of other muscle groups are now okay, but the adductors are the weak link. Cool. So adductors are, for those of you that don't know, um, we have two like sets of muscles, abductors with a B and adductors. So we'll often call them ABductors and ADductors in, when we're training people. And abductors pull you out and adductors with a D pull your leg in. So your abductors would run down like the side of your IT band. I know most runners know where those are, right? So if you are having abductor with a B weakness, we would need to find something that tries to hold your leg in and you can push out against it. And this would often be something like a starfish plank or a star plank, right? We can be, can be on a plank and then we can let our hips sink and then we can drive up through that outside of the edge of the leg and then back down and then drive out, and then back down. That would be something for the abductors. The adductors run down the inside of the leg. So if we're going to strengthen them, we need to find something that wants to push our leg outward, and we can fight it inward. And the best exercise I have for this is actually called a Copenhagen plank, where you do a side plank with your like upper foot on a bench, and then you push into that bench with the side of your foot to activate the adductor. And if you need to know what those look like, search Copenhagen Plank on YouTube and it'll bring it right up. They are difficult. You can scale them in many ways. So instead of having your foot on the bench, you could put your knee on the bench and go to an elbow. We can find many ways to take a little bit of the load off, but a Copenhagen Plank is really good for those. If you have access to a like big gym, like a big box gym, like a Planet Fitness or like EOS or Vasa or any of these things, then 
they will very likely have an abductor adductor machine where you can put your leg on a pad and push it inwards and push it outward it outwards these used to be often referred to as the good girl bad girl machines i think that name is absurd but it does deliver the point and if you ask anybody working at a gym where that is i'm certain they'll take you right to it another thing we can do is unilateral squat work so single-sided squat work this could be split squats lunges etc they don't necessarily drive directly into this muscle but the adductors and abductors work a lot when you're doing single leg type squat work right so all of those will help strengthen your abductors and adductors so that we're not having so many issues and these are very important muscles when we're out there on the trail if you're in road running clearly important if you're in trail running even more important because if we're on unstable surfaces these muscles like they're worth their weight in gold so if we can get them really strong that's awesome i think that's all i have on your adductors and abductors if you have any questions pop them in next question from shane is plant-based a solid way to go sure um do you my first question is do you actually want to eat plant-based and if so great then do it and you can make it work and my second question would be, what do we actually mean by plant-based? I'm not like trying to mess with anything here, but I think semantics matters in the same way that I, you've heard me rant on the term low carb because it doesn't ma actually mean anything. It can be anything from like 20 grams to 100 grams. I'm not actually a huge fan of plant-based because by volume, my diet is largely plants. I eat a lot of plants, I eat a lot of lentils, I eat a lot of rice, I eat a lot of potatoes, like I eat a ton of green stuff. Plants are all over my plate. They easily take up like three quarters of any time I eat food most of the time. But I also eat animal products at almost every meal. So if by plant-based we mean vegan, that is a different conversation, right? And if you, even then, if you mean vegan, sure, it is a solid way to go, but you're going to need to supplement. At the very least, you need to boost B12 because you cannot get it from plants. You probably would benefit from a whole B complex and an iron supplement would probably help you as well. You can find iron in things like spinach, but it is not particularly bioavailable. And a lot of runners are anemic for a bunch of reasons. But one of them being when you run, your feet contact the ground over and over again, actually bursting red blood cells, which will lose iron and you will end up at a higher risk of anemia than other athletes. So if you, you might supplement with iron as well, especially if you are a premenopausal female. Men hold on to more iron because they don't bleed every month, but anemia can still be an issue for them as well. So keep an eye on things. You might also benefit from some creatine. This is certainly not essential, but it's cheap. It has shown huge performance benefits for a wide range of athletes and a wide range of reasons, both mental and physical. And then the big one that everybody will ask you, whether it's a stupid question or not, is you need to make sure you get enough protein. As a normal everyday human who like sits at a desk and does normal human things, you will get plenty of protein from plants. You could technically eat nothing but potatoes and get enough protein to keep you alive. That said, 
if you're an athlete, you need <laughs> double the amount of protein to restore your constantly working muscles that a like fairly sedentary American does, right? You want to target about 0.8 grams of protein per pound of lean body weight every day. Like for me, that's about 150 grams of protein. That is very hard to do on a, even a vegetarian diet, much less a vegan diet. If I were to go that route, it's not that it's impossible, but I would eat a good amount of tofu and tempeh and I would absolutely use protein powders. And this is just how it's true with many things. For example, if you are a carnivore, you're going to struggle to get vitamin C and magnesium because they are in citrus fruits and green things, right? Like it's just hard. So you will very likely want to supplement with some stuff. Now, if you're not vegan and you're vegetarian, a lot of these issues don't go away, but they become much more manageable. Egg yolks, great source of fat-soluble vitamins like A, E, K, um, and micronutrients like choline, right? And the whites are a great source of protein for most people unless you struggle with albumin. If you can digest dairy, you also have that option. And most people can to some degree. Most people have some issue with it, but it is, it is a range, right? Like there's a spectrum of lactose and lactase and casein and all the things in dairy that can cause people problems. Depending on where your sourcing comes from, it is different. So most people can tolerate some amount of dairy, even if you shouldn't be mainlining milk all day long, right? That said, like if you are going plant-based for other reasons is wonderful. Very honestly, like I get most of my meat from like 20 miles that way. I drive to a small farm in West Jordan because I don't think our farming practices are great. That is my personal thing. Not saying you have to do that, but I understand the like plant-based for moral reasons thing. It makes a bunch of sense to me. And most of us could actually do a lot to eat more plants. They're a great source of nutrients, but you're likely not going to increase performance solely because you went plant-based. Oreos are plant-based, right? They are vegan. You probably should not live on nothing but Oreos. That said, plants are a great source of micronutrients, and most of us could eat more of them. And if you're currently eating an unhealthy omnivorous diet, a healthy vegan diet could be an improvement. But it's not because it's vegan. It's because you're actually eating a whole food that helps provide your body with a bunch of nutrition you haven't been getting. Vegan diets are deficient in certain nutrients. Most diets are deficient in something. Right? The standard American diet is deficient in almost everything. So it depends where you're coming from. Plant-based is fine. Someone like Scott Jurek won like, everything on it, right? It does fine. Um, others do very well on a very fat-heavy, meat-heavy diet. You can perform very well on almost any diet as long as you take care to compensate for relevant deficiencies and take overall care of yourself. Tara, I see your comment. Give me one sec. Awesome. I've not discussed that yet. I will definitely get to it. In fact, you are next. Tara. Question here is avoiding the bonk. Seems like no matter how well I feel that I'm fueling or hydrating, I bonk hard. And there's a comment from Tara also that, not sure if you discussed this yet, but I'm trying to include hydration, but nausea and inability to take something is crushing my times in a not good way. Okay, so overall, let's talk about bonking in general, and then we can talk a little bit about hydration and whatnot as well. So 
for all the international watchers, listeners out there, bonking, as I'm sure you probably know, because you know you have to listen to us Americans talk all the time, means something very different in the States. You might know it as hitting the wall. Anyway, if you're bonking, you're underfueled. Specifically, your muscles are out of glycogen and carbs. So if you're bonking, we have like a couple solutions. More training will make you fitter, and you'll end up requiring less glycogen if you keep running at the same pace. So you could get fitter and then run, continue running how you're running, and you won't bonk as much. But part of the benefit of getting fitter is being able to run faster. So you could also eat more, right? So my first question is, like, how much are you eating? If you don't know what your intake is on your runs or you're guessing, then we should actually figure that out. Determine how many calories and where those calories are coming from and all these things you're taking in per hour on your run. And that way we know what your baseline is so that we can start to make adjustments. Step two is if you try to eat more but can't, then we need to look at why. If you're hitting palate fatigue, then we need to find a different type of flavor, right? Like at mile 80, I mean, your pacer can tell you, do it, eat it anyway as many times as you want, but short of shoving it in your mouth, you still have to eat it. And if you're really struggling, then this could actually be a huge problem. So you want a few different options. You want something that's a little on the sweeter side, and you want something that's a little on the saltier side. So that if you run into huge amounts of palate fatigue, you aren't killing all of your possibility to consume food. So have some gels that are sweet. Um, honey is a great source of sweet, fruit, etc. All of these things are there. But we should also have some salty options as well. So potatoes that have some salt on them, boiled, cubed, mashed, whatever works. There's, there's rice, there's rice cakes, there are peanut butter, like there's all range of things that might actually help you get in some fuel, right? And we can go that route. Now, if you're struggling because of nausea, you're very likely dehydrated. And the first step here is to figure out your sweat rate. And you need to do this if you, I'm, I'll preach on this till the, till the end of time. Like we need to figure out how much fluid you're losing and then try to replace pretty much all of that per hour. Now, if you have a huge sweat rate, then we run into some exceptions, right? Like the average is right around one to one and a half liters-ish per hour. And you can replace that hourly. Your, your stomach will absorb it. And if you fall in the like half liter to a liter and a half range, then we need to target that and try to make that happen. It will change throughout the year, so you want to do this test a couple times throughout the year to figure out what that looks like. If you don't know how to do this, please download the Hydration Secrets for Ultra Runners guide that's pinned at the top of the group. It will walk you through it on page three, I think. But if we have our sweat rate and it ends up being something like four liters per hour, then we have some issues, right? Like you cannot absorb that much fluid. So you might end up a little dehydrated and have to slow down a little bit. You can do some things like preload with salt mixtures, mixtures, but the first step is to figure out how much fluid you're losing so you have a target to try and replace. If we don't know where you're starting from or losing, then you don't really know what to aim for, right? So first thing is to get your hydration down so that your food 
can come back together. Now, the other thing that people don't talk about very often could be a stomach acid issue. If you're regularly nauseous or have heartburn or acid reflux or whatever you want to call it, you might have some issues with your stomach acid. An ultra is not going to help that for a bunch of reasons. One, running that far and producing that much cortisol throws everything out of whack. So if your digestion isn't great in your day-to-day -day life where you, you know, run a couple, like run an hour and work, it's not going to be better when you run 12 hours, right? Like it's just not. So if you have digestion issues in your day-to-day -day life, we need to try and correct those. And some of that could come from stomach acid. And if you, the problem is that high stomach acid and low stomach acid often look the same. So if you are struggling with heartburn or any of these things and you want to know which one might be you, you could do what's called the baking soda test where you take a quarter teaspoon of baking soda, drink it with I think four to six ounces of water first thing in the morning on an empty stomach and see how long it takes you to burp. You should look this up on Google. Um, this is not an official test, but it seems to correlate like 80 to 90%. Like it will give you an idea of whether you have good amounts of stomach acid. If you are not dealing with digestion, I don't recommend you do this. It's annoying and it doesn't taste very good. But if you are struggling with digestive issues, it could be a good start to see where you're coming from, right? So if you are struggling with nausea, first figure out your hydration needs. If you haven't done that yet, that should be step one. And then if you have digestive issues in your day-to-day -day life, we should try to figure that out as well because that could be a deeper root cause. Cool. Esther, nutrition hacks for busy people. So my biggest ones here are meal prep and quick food, which is why I actually created that guide, that meal guide for busy ultra runners. Again, pinned at the top of this group and, or whatever it's called. I, I should probably know the actual title of it since I made it, but it's up there. Um, you should download that and look at it and see if it helps. But the big things that I do are meal prep and like just a general concept of what I'm going to eat throughout the week. You should try to hit certain things throughout your day as an athlete, like basic target of protein, a basic target of plants, a basic target of fats, and enough carbs to support your activity on a day-to-day -day basis. And that will probably swing more than the other ones, right? Like your protein, plants, and fats, your, your needs are fairly static. Your carb needs will switch based on whether you're doing back-to-back -back speed days or really long run or any of these things. So if you have an idea of how much of these things you need to eat, then you can do some prep. You could cook like all your meals on a weekend like a bodybuilder does and that's perfectly fine if it fits your style but it doesn't work well for me I've tried I don't like it so I will do a couple things one I'll cook big batch meals that last me for days currently I'm working on what was a gigantic pot of lentils that I made yesterday and it should feed me through tomorrow I'm fine eating the same thing a few days in a row it does not bother me but I also do some versions of meal prep depending on where I am throughout my year and how I'm feeling. So I'll pre-cook a ton of ingredients. So like rice and vegetables and protein, and then I'll put them together in different ways to make different foods. For example, I will cook a very large pot 
of like a 50-50 rice and quinoa mixture. I like them both. They cook the exact same, so you don't have to do any math or figure it out. It's all both a two to one. Add some salt, and then the quinoa gives you a little extra protein, fiber, blah, 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 etc. Right? So rice and quinoa. And then I will cook a couple sheet pans worth of mixed vegetables. And then I will also cook a combination of like turkey and ground beef in a pot. Some days it's chicken thighs, some days whatever, but it's often turkey and ground beef. And I will cook enough to last for a few days. And then I will use like pre-made sauces or spice mixtures or it's like pull random spices out of the cabinet to turn it into different foods. These ingredients can serve as a base for everything from Thai to Indian to Mexican if you have some sauces and spice mixtures. And then when I'm busy on a weeknight, like when I work till 7 or 8 p.m. after getting up at 5 or 4, uh, 4.30, um, it only takes me 10 minutes to slam this stuff together, right? It takes me a block of time on the weekend, but I don't even really have to pay attention to it. I set the stuff on the stove and put it in the oven I toss the rice wall in one pot, meat in another, like veg in the oven, and I let it cook for a bit. I'll stir it occasionally, and while I'm doing that, I will often write programming or talk to athletes or do mobility work while watching television. Right? It is one of the biggest things I do to help myself eat healthier. Otherwise, I <laughs> will get a burrito all the time from the fast food restaurant next to my gym. I know this because I've done it a lot. When I was working in the ski industry, burritos like three times a week. When I was moving and like Alex and I were going through a split, burritos like three times that week. In addition to an Indian food restaurant takeout and I think something else. Like I do not cook at 8 p.m. I assemble. So this is one of the things that like tends to help a lot. So Dina next asked, can you address swelling? while running a 40 to 50K, please? Or am I the only one? So, first off, you are not the only one. I swell, my fingers swell all the time. Uh, this ring in the middle of my run will not come off. See, pretty easy, it's actually kind of loose. In the middle of my runs, it will never ever come off. So, I was about to do a bunch of research for this uh, to see if I was missing anything. And then what came up on my Instagram, but a wonderful infographic from Running Explained. If you don't listen to Elizabeth's podcast or follow her Instagram, you probably should. Uh, it's called Running Explained, and it is fantastic. That said, um, I will put the link here right now, actually, and I'll also put in the show notes for those listening to the podcast of this infographic so you can go look at it. But the basic reasons for swelling are reactive vasodilation. So basically your blood is in your legs when you're running. It doesn't, it's not like in your hands and feet. And as a result, your blood vessels tend to dilate in response. So they swell. Another answer, hyponatremia. Too little sodium, too much water. This will also result in swelling. Um, Vasodilation for sweating. So when your body's hot, you start to sweat and you get <laughs> um, blood vessel dilation to 
help you deal with that, right? Like it'll help cool you faster because when the sweat evaporates off your skin, if your blood vessels are a little wider and your capillaries are a little bigger, it'll actually help control your temperature more. So it is like helping your sweating be more effective. And then centrifugal force, centrifugal force, can never pronounce that right. So just like spinning something around, it always goes to the outer edge. Same thing with running, especially if you're, you're moving quick, right? If we're moving really fast, our hands are moving faster than our shoulder, than it would be in our torso. So it will move outwards. And these are the four primary reasons why you might end up with swollen hands or fingers or feet. Feet, you have the addition of just the pounding, right? The, the amount of pounding that's going to go with your feet, they will also swell. So if you're having these issues, there's not a lot you can do about most of them. You could do some heat training, but that actually might make the swelling a little worse because it's going to make the vasodilation a little worse, right? Like that's actually one of the things that heat training can do. Um, it makes it a little more, it makes you sweat more, which can also like create that reaction a little more. Um, if you are, you can train more uh, that will minimize some of that because you're not going to need quite as much blood in your legs. Just like training more will help you digest food better because you're not pulling your entire amount of blood to your legs. Same here, right? So that's one thing that can happen. Centrifugal force, like we could work on running um, form. One that will improve running economy, so it'll be a little better. And so if we're not like creating a bunch of unnecessary movement, so like big arm swings, right? If we're having just like small, subtle, just enough to keep us, keep us riding, then that can help a lot as well. And then if you are actually like on the way to hyponatremia, we need to get your salt and your fluid intake correct, right? And there's, we can take guesses, right? So we have a ranges that work fairly well for salt in relation to fluid, but you're eventually gonna to need to dial that in through various signals, like how much salt is on your clothes, how you're feeling, whether we're getting any of these reactions, whether you're able to digest food, or you could buy a patch that will actually assess your sodium loss as you go, and we could do that as well. I think Gatorade actually makes one of these. I don't know how much they cost, and I know there's other sources, and I should look into this, so I will do that and try and post it in the show notes, or at least in the group later. But those are the main reasons, and the things we can really do to make it better are maybe some heat training, tighten up our movements, and like get our salt intake together. I'm going to be very honest. I do not do well with this. My hands always swell. They've always swollen for like 15 years now, and for me, it is way worse than the heat. It is very sweat mitigated or sweat uh, created. So like when I was in Arizona hiking, it didn't matter how hard I was pushing, didn't matter what I would take in. I would always end up with like swollen hands at the end, right? So that's kind of where we, we end up. But need to like, these are our causes. And if we can figure out a little bit of what yours might be, then we could start to deal with the sources or the roots of, root causes. Jesse, favorite salt tablets or electrolytes? I'm not a fan of salt tablets, actually. I do like sometimes use electrolytes. Um, some of my runners do and they use salt stick. And it's fine. I don't judge against them. I just don't use them. Right, like the, we need to find what works for us. So I've seen salt stick work really well. Um, electrolytes, I actually really like scratch because I think their micronutrient profile is a little better. Um, like the potassium and the magnesium and that kind of stuff. 
I think potassium is really underappreciated, as I talked about last week. So I will buy one that's affordable with a good potassium because I can always add sodium, right? Like my favorite sodium source is real salt. It's local, it has some micronutrients in it, and it's dirt cheap, right? And it dissolves well in water. So that's actually what I use to get sodium into my water. I put real salt into it, and then I can flavor it however I want to. Um, but if we're looking for good sources, Element, Element T is really good. It's particularly high sodium, and I like Scratch a lot. Um, some people do very well with Noon. Some people I know do very well with Gnarly, but they're all very similar. The big thing I would say is do not do your sodium and electrolyte intake by hour. I still see people do, like very highly qualified people recommend electrolyte intake based on time. And it makes no sense because it is based on your fluid intake. You need to replace your electrolytes because you're losing them in fluid. And you're going to become hyponatremic because you're taking in too much fluid and not enough electrolytes. It doesn't matter how long it's been. It matters how much fluid you've taken in. So if you find one that works for you, do that. And then we need to ration it in proportion to our fluid intake. Oh, missed a couple that are clearly important. Tailwind, right? I have athletes who do basically entire 50Ks and almost nothing but like tailwind and a banana. Good product. It doesn't actually work super well for me, um, but it's a good product. It is also pretty high in sodium. So if you're going to get most of your nutrition from there, you are going to probably end up with a little too much sodium. That's another, another big one. Right? I'm sure there are more. I have a whole nutrition document that I give to athletes that has like 12 more on it, but that's the ones off the top of my head. Right, another one from Dina. Rehab after the runs. Do we need to take anything? Do we stretch for how long? Things like that. So food is the biggest thing. You need to eat enough food to recover overall. Like you need to eat enough calories to support your activity level, period. Specifically, you need to eat enough protein. No problem, Jesse. Um, you need to eat enough protein to help your muscles recover. As I said earlier, that's about 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. Or we can think like three or four palm-sized portions of like a dedicated protein source. If you did a hard session and you plan to do another hard session in the next 24 hours, you'd also likely benefit from some carbs. And then fluids and electrolytes. All of that, absolutely essential to recovery. That's all you really need to take. If you're struggling with something specific, then we might benefit from supplements or what have you. But the basics are food, specifically protein, and carbs if we're going hard again soon. And then fluid and electrolytes. As far as stretching, you can. Um, it hasn't actually proven to do any good. But if you enjoy it and it works well for you, then you should do it. I don't particularly like stretching, so the fact that it doesn't necessarily help means I'm not gonna do it. That said, like you should do some mobility work, and they are different. Mobility work, so mobility versus flexibility. Stretching builds flexibility, mobility work builds mobility. Um, flexibility is your range of motion, right? So like how far my limbs can move, and Mobility is your control over said range of motion. So I can pull my shoulder back. If you're watching this video, I can pull my shoulder back like this far. It's not that far. If somebody were behind me, they could actually pull it a few more inches um, without causing me damage. I'm that flexible, but I am this mobile. And 
we have that on all of our limbs. Your flexibility range is almost always going to be bigger than your mobility range. And we really care as athletes about mobility because mobility is what, where you have control. And if you're running along a trail and your foot ends up a little off, like just outside of your line of mobility, and you don't have strength control over that like particular range of your flexibility, that's when you go down and get hurt. So mobility work is super helpful. And I actually don't view that as recovery or rehab. I view it as like prehab. You need to do this in order to not get injured. So mobility work. We also have sleep. You need to sleep. If you don't sleep, you can't create hormones. Like this is when we create most of our hormones, um, at least our recovery hormones. Cortisol and melatonin, everything happens during your day. But sleep is when you create like human growth testosterone, yeah, human growth hormone and testosterone and estrogen and these things. This is all in your sleep, specifically deep sleep. So you need to get enough sleep. Enough depends on you. And it might cycle throughout your life in different phases. But you need enough sleep or else you will not recover. Massage has shown to be helpful for some people, but not for others. Like there's mixed studies on this. So I, I don't know. That one's very much up to you. I found it really helps me for certain things. I don't get them frequently, but I will often let things stack up and then get a massage and be good for a while again. Right. And if you have an injury, something like a compression sock could be helpful, but that's also really personally dependent. If you don't have injuries, they seem to help blood flow, but they're probably not needed. But um, Oscar, who just finished his ultra, his first ultra last weekend, congrats, um, had a bit of a soleus injury prior and we had, he had him, he had a compression sock on for like two weeks and it helped a lot with recovery. So that can be useful if you need it. But all of this is really personally dependent. The basics are food, mobility, hydration, sleep. If you do those, that's probably all you need. If you still struggle, we can design something more personal and you're welcome to DM me if you want help with that. That's what I'm here for. And then finally, Amanda, staying motivated. I love motivation. Unfortunately, I often don't feel a lot of it. I'm a very dopamine-driven individual, and that is probably because my natural levels are pretty low. So I rarely have the, like, I want to go do the thing attitude. I love it when I'm doing it, right? Like, I know I'll love it when I'm doing it. I've done it enough. So I'm often willing to get over that very high initiation cost to get out there to find the enjoyment. But it is tough. And that's really normal for a lot of people, especially in this community. Like, your initiation cost is often really high, and your motivation is going to go up and down. It doesn't make you lazy. It makes you human. You will not reach your goals through motivation. You'll reach them through habits and discipline. So when you're motivated, take that as a push to set up habits and discipline that will help you get to your goals. If you really struggle, you can reach out to something external. Like, I doubt you're necessarily motivated to brush your teeth every day, but you probably do it. And you do that because your parents set the habit when you were younger. You didn't want to do it, they made you do it, you did it. You didn't want to do it, they made you do it, you did it. You did this day after day until the external push was enough to create the internal habit. And you can do that as an adult. There's no magic about doing this for children. In fact, it's often harder. Have someone be your external factor that helps you, helps you to create these internal habits. That could be anything from a friend to a partner to a coach. If you want a coach, DM me. 
<laughs> we'll set up a time to chat and see if we're a good fit. But you could also just ask your running buddy. Motivation isn't key to your goals. It's really nice. And when it's there, leverage it. Like Hopefully it hits you on a long run day, but it will go away. And the best thing you can do is enjoy it while it's there and use it to set up good habits and discipline for when it's not. Cool. That's all the questions I have for today. I don't see any more in the chat. Thank you for those who stuck around. Anybody listening to this replay on the podcast or watching the video, thank you as well. I still sometimes just cannot believe that people actually care about what I just have to say about this topic. So thank you so much. And I will be back next week with more. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition Group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.